You're listening to KDNK's Public Affairs Program for Land's Sake. I'm your host, Bill Kite, and today our guest is Ken Newbegger. And Ken uh, has recently retired from American Rivers, a national radi- uh, river conservation organization. He has uh, served as the environmental representative for the Colorado River Basin Roundtable. He's done all kinds of stuff, past president of Colorado Trout Unlimited, and as well as past president of Carbondale Rotary. And uh, he... Uh, really became seriously involved in river and water issues 30 years ago with the Homestake 2 project and the Eagle Mine disaster in Eagle County, Colorado. And Ken, welcome. Well, thanks, Bill. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you. I don't know why we haven't had you on the show before now, but I'm certainly glad to have you on at this time. And it's a good time to be talking about the Colorado River, isn't it? It is. But I do have to say I was a little... uh, intimidated by following Herbie Hancock there. <laughs> well, there's, yeah, there, we always have to follow somebody when, when we go on the radio, and I, I can understand what you mean there. Um, you know, yeah. first first of all, uh, Ken, I'd kind of like to know, and I think people listening would, is when you became interested in rivers, and especially the Colorado River. Well, it was, uh, it was about 30 years ago. I mean, I, I'd been... Uh, uh, involved with rivers from a recreational standpoint, both canoeing and rafting, uh, well before that, um, going down the Grand Canyon 51 years ago when nobody else was down there, um, and then over on the Yampa River and then uh, on the Eagle River uh, uh, with fly fishing. And uh, and then I became aware of the Homestake Project and uh, the plans to divert uh, a uh, large amount of water out of Homestake Creek uh, over to Aurora in Colorado Springs. And my immediate reaction was, what the heck? They can't do that. And so I had some learning to do. And then uh, after the Eagle Mine blew out, became a Superfund site. Um, it made the Animus Mine uh, River problem a couple of years ago look like child's play. Uh, it took 20 years to clean that thing up. Right. And it's still not totally clean, uh, but that's that's what got me deeply involved in things in the river uh, world beyond just uh, recreation. We had uh, Dee Malone here last uh, last month, who we talked a little bit about the fact they still want to get more water from us, don't they? Oh yeah, uh, they they have conditional rights, and uh, they do have up in the Upper Eagle. They do have. Uh, uh, what was called the uh, uh, Eagle River MOU, Memorandum of Understanding. Right. Um, <clears throat> which I, I don't know if Dee talked a little bit about that or not, but uh, that's something that uh, it was sort of a peace treaty right. between uh, the Eagle County factions and uh, the Front Range uh, diverters. Well, this year, you know, the Colorado River, once again, you, you know this more than anyone else, made the list as one of the 10 most threatened rivers in America. And I believe it became a, became number one this year. Uh, and why is the Colorado River threatened, Ken? Mainly because they're, it's just uh, way over-appropriated, overused, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's becoming a uh, focal point for conflict. And... Uh, uh, that's, that's the main thing, you know, it's, it's, uh, more machine now than it is a river. 
Well, in terms of the, the what the average person can understand, because, boy, Colorado uh, water law is complicated, to say the least, but uh, if you could explain allocating the Colorado River's water between the upper basin states and the lower basin states and where that uh, compact came from, the original Colorado River compact, if you could kind of educate us on that, I think uh, it would be a good thing. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, the uh, Most of the western states, uh, all of the intermountain western states, have to varying degrees prior appropriation, uh, first in time, first in right, as the foundation of their water law. Colorado was the first state to actually codify prior appropriation in its constitution in 1876, and uh, that hasn't really changed much at all. Um, in fact, that, that one article in the constitution, I think, is maybe one of the only ones in the constitution that hasn't changed. Um, but the, all the states had that. And in 1919, uh, the irrigators over in the uh, northern Colorado uh, on the, on the uh, uh, South Platte uh, dug a tunnel through the mountains and diverted the Laramie River over to the uh, the the Cashel Puder River down to the farms and uh, in the in the uh, South Platte Valley, and that got the folks in Wyoming excited because the Laramie River flows into uh, Wyoming, and Wyoming sued Colorado. And anytime you have a suit between two states, it goes straight to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, uh, there's there's no lower court. And uh, uh, what happened was the uh, court ruled in favor of Wyoming, saying that in states where prior appropriation is the uh, foundation of their water law, then prior appropriation governs. Okay. And Colorado's lead attorney in that case was a fellow named uh, Delph Carpenter. And after the court came out with its ruling, uh, he he looked around and he went, uh-oh, we could be in trouble here because he looked down the Colorado to Southern California, which was developing much faster than we were, uh, right. especially in the Imperial Valley, uh, in the uh, uh, in the Mexicali region, uh, a lot of farms down there, and they were taking water out of the river. Uh, and after the disastrous flood in 1905, uh, when the Colorado River decided to appropriate the canal for its entire flow and create the Salton Sea, the folks down there started clamoring for a new dam and uh, a canal that was on the American side entirely, not, not in Mexico. And the pressure was building for that kind of arrangement. And Carpenter looked at it and realized that if we just hold prior appropriation as sacred here, Colorado and the upper basin states, which were growing much slower, would be totally screwed in terms of being able to develop their water supplies down the road. So he proposed having a, a, a compact, a treaty between the states. And that's what they did in 1922. They, uh, they divvied up the flows of the water. Uh, the upper basin uh, got seven and a half million 
acre feet. The lower basin got seven and a half million acre feet. Arizona got an extra million acre feet for the Gila River. Uh, and they sort of glossed over a few things. I mean, the compact is very easy reading. It's only three pages. Okay. Um, the the tribes were pretty much written out. They were there was one sentence in there that the federal government would be responsible for the tribes. And that would be that. And uh, Mexico was not really considered. Uh, and and so they thought that they had everything put together there. Arizona immediately. <laughs> refused to participate or sign the compact and uh, went after California. Um, that's a whole nother story. Right. Um, but that was the, the idea was equitable apportionment of the river and, and uh, for, for everybody, but Mexico and the tribes. Right. And it's, you know, equitable was the, was the key word. Uh, so the Colorado could develop Western, the Western slope, and its cities uh, at our own pace, and the uh, uh, lower basin, California and Arizona and Nevada, could work out their differences if they could uh, to uh, develop the uh, Yuma Valley area and the Imperial Valley, uh, and then the cities of Los Angeles and San Diego, as as they wished. They knew what they were, what they would get, and that was that. It didn't quite work out that way. Right, right. Well, you know, in 2021, you wrote an article entitled Science and the Sacred, The Duty of Water in the West. And in that article, you said we need to change how we think about the Colorado, um, as well as the, the phrase you said was the paradigms of the past no longer suffice. And so why do we still have the same amount of allocation after all these years and things can't keep up like they are then what what's what needs to change well the the biggest recent development is we're just running out of water right for sure um, the thing that needs to change is it was sort of a two-pronged article argument uh i went to a colorado water conservation board meeting down in ignacio uh, a few years ago uh on the uh southern ute reservation or nation yeah, and their right. uh, the casino down there and the ute elders from both the southern ute and the ute mountain ute tribes were invited to come and uh, share the stage with the uh, cwcb uh -huh. and uh, they were warmly welcomed uh to the cwcb and then when it was their turn to speak they kind of lit in to the CWCB. And what's the CWCB, for folks that don't know that? The Colorado Water Conservation Board. Okay, gotcha. And uh, every basin has a representative on that board. Um, and they meet quarterly and uh, work out water policy, mostly funding, but a lot of water policy for the state. Uh, the biggest thing was the recent uh, Colorado Water Plan and the update. But the, one of the things that the tribal elders pointed out was that while they used water very much the same way we did in terms of irrigation and uh, even fracking, right? Um, they pointed out that their attitude towards water was entirely different, that they saw water as sacred. And by sacred, it's, you don't 
it doesn't mean you can't use it. You can't touch it. Sacred right. is not the same as sacrosanct. Right. And, uh, but it means that when you use something, you use it with respect. You use it with a sense of reverence for what it is. And you also only use what you need. Right, because water is life to, to them and should be to us. Yeah, and what got me was the, the concept of you only use what you need. Now, most irrigators, uh, including here in the Roaring Fork Valley, will tell you that their decree allows them to take X amount of water at their head gate. And their lawyers will tell them that you better take all of it uh, that you can, that you're allowed to take, whether you use it or not, and waste it back in the river. I, this is a big problem on the crystal. Right. And so that's the common understanding that the uh, water is, is your, the, the measure of your water right is your decree. And that's not true. Uh, you know, the lawyer will say, use it or lose it. Well, it's it's awfully hard to lose a water right. And there's some fear fiction in that concept as well. Uh, I talked about this with uh, a friend of mine at the time, uh, former uh, Supreme Court Justice Greg Hobbs, and he actually got a little hot, which is not common for Greg. <laughs> right. He was, uh, he was a poet, too. Still is, I think, isn't he? Is he still yes. alive? No, he passed away oh, he last year. Okay, I yeah. didn't realize that. No, but he, 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 uh, he just looked at me and he said, no. The true measure of your water right is a thing called the duty of water. doesn't matter what your decree says. If you can't use all that water, you have no right to all that water. You only have a right to what you need for your fields and for your irrigation. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. And that comes from a concept of, uh, to me, uh, uh, seeing water as sacred, even among the uh, pioneers who developed Colorado's prior appropriation water uh, law, they uh, uh, understood that water was very limited and that you really have no right to more than what you need. And you have to put it to a beneficial use to have an actual uh, active water right. Correct. You know, right. Some other mm-hmm. states don't do that. Um, you can't hoard water. You can't speculate about water. Uh, you can only use what you can actually apply to a beneficial use at that moment. That's that's the measure of your water right. Okay. So in a way, we, we recognize the sacredness of the water, even if not in the same way as the, uh, uh, the Native Americans did. Uh, but I think we should get around to that because... It's like you said, water is uh, sacred for all life. And the Colorado is more than just one massive storage and plumbing system to, for the delivery of water to 40 million people. It's also the delivery of water to uh, massive amounts of migratory birds and wildlife uh, and things like that. You're listening to Katie K's public affairs program for land's sake, and today our guest is Ken Newbecker. And uh, Ken, yeah, uh, it's not just humans that need the water; animals need the water. The plants along the river need the water. So, good point. Um, you know, the water law in Colorado can be very contentious, and you already mentioned about 
the contentiousness between states, uh, even in the upper basin, uh, what makes it so contentious and, and complicated? Um, the fact that it is, uh, it's it's uh, scarce. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and you have to have uh, water, and uh, that's where prior appropriation comes in, is with seniority. And the complexity, to a degree, lies somewhat in the simplicity of the uh, uh, the Colorado Constitution. I'll give you one example. Uh, most people think that you have to have an adjudicated water right from the water, water court in order to actually turn water out of the stream through a head gate and onto your fields or to whatever beneficial uh, use you have for it. And that's not true. The Colorado Constitution very clearly says the right to uh, divert water to a beneficial use shall never be denied, period. Doesn't say anything about the courts. The courts didn't come along until 1969 as a special water court. Before that, it was all handled by municipal courts. But the Constitution makes it pretty clear that if you've got a bean patch and you want to irrigate it and you live on the stream, you have full rights to dig a little ditch and irrigate your bean patch. Uh, now you have to pay attention to the water commissioner and the state engineer's office. If it's a free river, meaning that there's enough water for everybody, they're not going to disturb you. Okay. They're not going to. They're not going to go after you. But the minute you start getting reduces in the flow, reductions in the flow, and the water is there's less water than uh, all the users on the river uh, or the stream have access to, uh, then you've got to pay attention. And one of the things that happened a number of years ago, there was a uh, case uh, where the CWCB, uh, they're the only ones that can hold what's called an in-stream flow right for uh, environmental purposes. Okay. And... uh, they were going to file for an in-stream flow right on the North Fork of the Gunnison River. And they make it very, you know, public announcement that this is what we're going to do. This is who we're going to go through. It's a lengthy process. No other water right has to go through a process like in-stream flows do. Uh, but they went through it. They announced it. And a number of ranchers and irrigators over on the North Fork came out of the woodworks they had been using water that their grandfather and great-grandfather had dug the infrastructure for, the ditches and the head gates, and uh, had diverted. And they'd worked things out with their neighbors when water got short. But they never got went to court. They never got an adjudicated right. And so all of a sudden, there's this kerfuffle. Uh, because the last thing they wanted to do was, in prior appropriation, was suddenly find their 100 years of water use being junior to a newly created in-stream flow right. Uh, uh Right. Yeah, I could see where they'd be upset. So the CWCB gave them a couple of years to get their ducks in a row. And if you can prove to the court that you have been using this water to a beneficial use and built the infrastructure and uh, maintained it, uh, they will grant you a a more senior right 
depending on how old or how early you can uh, verify that that right exists, that, that that actual diversion existed. And a lot of stuff comes out of that. I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of the irrigators don't really understand the law, and a lot of the lawyers aren't very good at explaining it. Um, one of the key elements in the state constitution is that the water is the property of the public. It's owned by the public, the okay. people of the state of Colorado. And a diverter, somebody with a water right or with a diversion, is usufructory. Uh, they're, they're like renters. Uh, they don't own the property, but they have rights to use of that property. And in this case, it's water. And I've had irrigators come up to me and just thump me in the chest and say, that's wrong. I own the water. No, right. <laughs> yeah. And they don't. Um, and when things get tight, you know, a lot of times the ranchers, the irrigators will work things out among themselves. And a lot of times they are pretty cautious about it. They, they don't want their neighbor knowing what they're doing or how much water they're taking or what they're, uh, how wasteful their infrastructure might be. And, and they keep a lot of that close to their chest. And that's what, uh, what makes it complicated. Gotcha. Well, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, the Native American view of, of uh, water from the two Ute tribes in Colorado. There are actually rights, the way I understand it, of 29 Native American tribes, um, and and they're going to be at the table when things change here, but they've never had a right that's been included in the basin-wide agreements. Is that one of the things that needs to change? Uh, because the paradigm shift needs to come with the, them at the table, doesn't it? Well, they they do have those rights. They've always had those rights. Uh, there was an early court case uh, out of Montana in the Supreme Court called the Winters Decision, uh, I believe 1908. And uh, an irrigator above uh, reservation there uh, was claiming seniority over the native tribe that was slowly developing their water. And they were starting to take their water, and the irrigator upstream, the white irrigator, uh, objected and took them to court, claiming seniority. And the Supreme Court said no. In the winner's decision, said no. The water right for Native Americans and other uses, but this was mainly with the Native Americans, becomes a right, even though it's undefined at the time, it becomes a senior water right when the reservation is established when it is created for the purpose of domestic uses and agricultural uses by the native tribes. And so that's the, that's the law of the land, and that's what governs on the Colorado. So the tribes, all those tribes along the river, uh, especially along the main stem, have far senior rights to even California and the Imperial Valley or uh, uh, anybody in Colorado. And none of that was recognized. Not even the 2007 interim guidelines recognized that. The, the tribes were not there. But now they are. And they have, by some estimates, senior rights to as much as 20 or 25% of the river. 
That's what that's what I understood. About twenty percent of it is is, is their rights. Uh, well, you know, there are a lot of people. You and I, other people, they use the river. We like to go rafting. And what do we do in, in the next few minutes that we have? What what can we do as individuals to help the situation uh, that's coming on us here? Well, I don't guess we're going to have time to discuss that. Uh, next time, Ken, we'll, we'll oh. try to discuss that. We could do this for all day, you and I, couldn't we? Oh, we could. Just uh, turn the water off when you brush your teeth. There uh. you go. There you go. That's, that's a really good, bright, good place to start, isn't it? Yeah, it makes you think about it. Definitely, yeah. Well, thanks again, uh, Ken, for being with us today. And you've been listening to Katie and Kay's For Land's Sake. And uh, join us again, second Monday of every month, and it'll be June the 12th at 4 o'clock. Until then, whatever you do, do it to Mother Nature for land's sake. <laughs>